When uh, Brother Eric called me this afternoon, I, uh, I had a message. Actually, I heard the, the basis of the message back when I was 28 years old. But uh, he reminded me that we're uh, speaking of faith. And so I want to share a message on Super 8 Faith. But before I get to that, I want to share with you what it's not. Back in uh, 1979, we were in the middle of the charismatic movement. It was just going full bore at that time, and I was going to a charismatic church. And we had a guest speaker, and I remember the one thing he said always stuck in my mind. He said, if you're not living in the best, driving the best, wearing the best, you're living below your inheritance. Because the Bible says, therefore I say unto you what things where we desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And the Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I thought, I like that. Who wouldn't? So after we ate, that was Sunday morning, so after we ate uh, lunch at Wendy's, I went out to the Lincoln and Mercury dealer, pulled into the car lot, and I remember the, the speaker that day, he said, you need to decide if you have new car faith or used car faith. Well, I definitely had new car faith, so I pulled up where the new cars were, and there was a beautiful, brand new 1979, this is 79, Lincoln Town Car, about 25 feet long, baby blue, had a, a blue vinyl top on it, and on the back w window pillar, they, that's when they had the wide ones, it was an oval window, they called that an opera window, and there was a little light between the front and the back door on the post there. They called it an, an opera light. It had white wall tires, wire wheel covers. I went around and looked inside and it had crushed velour interior. If you remember when it had those. And there was the sticker, the window sticker. It said it had a 429 cubic inch engine. Big four barrel carburetor and it got 12 miles a gallon. And so I said, that's the car I need. As a child of God, that's the one I need. And so I got my anointing oil, and I anointed the, the Lincoln hood ornament on there, laid hands on it, claimed it. And just to be sure, I walked around it seven times while I'm praying in tongues. Kippamushai, Kippamushai, passed me on by. I don't know what that meant, but somebody said it, and I said, sounds good. So anyways, then to receive what you wanted from God, they said, was A, B, C, D, E. You got to make sure you got all the bases covered. A is ask, B is believe, C is confess, and uh, D was demonstrate, and E was endure. So I began to confess. I had a brand new 1979 Lincoln town car. People say, where is it? I said, it's on the way. There was something missing in the message there. And, and that is that Jesus said, all those things are true. Whenever I've taught the Bible, I always taught the Scripture balances Scripture and Scripture interprets Scripture. Well, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things that he possesses. So I want to teach on super, super eight faith, and when I get down there, I'll tell you where I got it from. But in Mark chapter 11 beginning in verse 12 
This is about uh, when Jesus said, and, and on the morrow, when Jesus uh, gets up and they go out, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry and he was grumpy. And seeing a fig tree far off with the leaves, he came if happily or perhaps he might find anything thereon and came and found nothing but the leaves for the time of figs was not. You can see he's hungry. He's looking for a Cracker Barrel, a Bob Evans, or at least a gas station where he can get a cup of coffee. And he finds none. So he says to the fig tree, no man shall eat fruit thereof forever. And the disciples heard it. Not only did they hear it, but they didn't see it happening. Didn't see anything happening. So we jump over to uh, verse 20. And in the morning, this is the next day, as they passed by, they saw the roots, that it was dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling remembered, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And he very simply said, Have faith in God. And I found that is so simple sometimes. I'm, I'm, I think simple things like that. And, and that's where where God likes to put the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody can understand them. And that's where I like it. Simply have faith in God. Sometimes we say, I don't know if I got faith for that. Well, you don't have to. Can you believe that God will? And do you believe that he can? That's all we have to believe. He just simply says, have faith in God. I don't have faith in myself. I know I have shortcomings. And, uh, but it's very simple that have faith in God. Then in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, they told me they, would, they can't put it on the screen tonight. But in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 it is. Romans 12 and verse 3. Well, I'll start with verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, what is the acceptable and perfect will of God. And I say through the grace given unto me to every man. Now what it says man in here in the Bible, it's generally, generally referring to mankind. That means men, men, women, boys, and girls. To every man or man, woman, boy, and girl that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but I want to say we should not think of ourselves more lowly also, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man, man, woman, boy, and girl, the measure of faith. And when I remember, first time I think I was when I was reading that, I said, you know, that's right. He's dealt to everyone the measure of faith. I believe that everybody has a measure of faith. And when it says dealt, my family, my mother, my grandfather, they always liked it. We'd get together and they liked to play cards. My mother liked to play Uno. My grandfather liked to pay, play 500. And he's dealt. Now think of that. That's the only thing I can think of is like a deck of cards when you're sitting there and the dealer deals your cards to you. But God has dealt to every man, woman, boy, and girl the measure of faith. I believe that. It's just it needs to be activated. Then in Luke, Luke chapter uh, 8, verses 41 through 56. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, 
and he was ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, besought him that he would come to his house. For he had only one daughter, and she was 12 years of age, and she lay dying. But as they went, people thronged him. And there was a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years. Oh, I got a picture of her. You must see the picture? I've got a picture of her right here. There you go. She even wears blue jeans. Okay. And here's the woman having an issue of blood. 12 years, she spent all her living with the physicians, and neither could they heal, be healed of any. Came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood, blood was staunched. Now in Matthew chapter 9, it uh, adds to that, that she said, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And Jesus said, who touched me, when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee. And thou sayest, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out from me. Miraculous power has gone out. And when the, think of all the people who were there. Many had many needs, but here was a woman with faith. It says, and when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause, cause she touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And while they're talking about it, as he gets delayed, here comes one of the Jairus' servants. It said, while he yet spake, there cameth one from the ruler of the synagogue, or the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter's dead, trouble not the master. All hope was gone, they were telling him. When he heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And after he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and wailed, and said, he said, Weep not, for she's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Now here's a great contradiction. He says, Jesus says, Don't weep, she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. So who was right? They were both right. In the natural, she was dead. If you'd have had a stethoscope, you could have put it on her heart. No heartbeat. No pulse there. No pulse here. Put a mirror up to her mouth. She wasn't fogging a mirror. She was dead. But the thing is that in the natural, she was dead. But Jesus operates in the supernatural. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and saying, made arise and her spirit came again and she arose straightway commanded to give her meat and her parents were astonished and he charged them they should tell no man, no man what was done and when I thought about that when he said fear not only believe how Jesus operates in the supernatural a Boeing 747 fully loaded with fuel passengers cargo suitcases 
weighs 875,000 pounds. Now the law of gravity says that something that weighs 875,000 pounds is not going to fly unless a hurricane or a tornado hits it. But when that plane gets rolling down the runway, I've been in planes that were overloaded already. After Nita and I were married, my mom and dad bought us a cruise, Caribbean cruise, and so we flew from Miami down to Puerto Rico, and we got on a cruise ship, and when we got back, everybody had all this stuff. And the plane was bloated to capacity because Delta, we had an American Airlines plane, and Delta had canceled a flight, so it was just, you know, people were waiting in line to get on there. Plus, it had a duty-free shop which you could buy cases of booze without paying any tax on it. So all these people were not only had their luggage packed and all that, but they were all carrying these cases of Cuddy Sark and Jack Daniels and stuff like that on the plane. Even the pilots were. They came in with cases of booze. And I said, one for the road, boys? And they just glared at me. So this plane was overloaded. And I could tell by the way uh, it was, it was uh, the, the pilots were doing, I, you know, since I've flown before, I could see what they do. They got cleared to the very end of the runway, turned it around, they stand on the brakes, put the flaps down 15 degrees, open up all four throttles, and when it gets wound up to the red line on all four engines, they pop the brakes, and you kind of are set back in your seat, and they're going down the runway wide open. And once that plane gets up to 120,000 or 120 miles an hour, the law of gravity is still true. Just like many times, you know, you're facing impossible situations. You know, it's, I mean, it is what it is. But there's another law that supersedes the law of gravity. And when it gets up to 120 miles an hour, it's called the law of aerodynamics. And I remember in that plane we were on, as soon as they could, got down to almost the end of the runway, you could see it coming, and you're saying, oh, Jesus. You know, it's wide open, you're coming in, hoping they got up to the flying speed. They just barely lift off. You hear the landing gear going, boom, pulling at the landing gear, and we just flew out over the water, maybe six feet above the water, for a minute or so. And I said, we're in trouble. Because I knew what they were doing. They were trying to build up the speed so that they could gently lift it up without stalling. But that's what it's called. It's called the law of aerodynamics. And it, and it will supersede the law of gravity. And faith in God will supersede the natural in the same way. I mean, there's been situations where, well, I've, just, I've shared before about in 1990, I found out I had degenerative disc disease. And, for, and uh, we went to an orthopedic surgeon. I got an MRI, stuck it up on his light box. He said, here's your problem. All your discs are white until you get to the bottom three and they're black. He said, you have degenerative disc disease and it's only going to get worse. And it did for about three years. I used to wear a steel break, a back with steel that had steel... Uh, braces in it here. I couldn't stand to ride in my Jeep. I had to sew my Jeep. It hurt to carry a gallon of milk. It hurt to walk on concrete, to get up out of bed. I couldn't sit up. 
I had to roll over my stomach, put my feet on the floor, and push myself up. And in the natural, there's, there's no help unless you have operations. And then I've seen many people that had back operations, and they were worse afterwards. But then I came to one of our miracle services that the pastor had in that building right there. And he prayed the prayer of faith. As a matter of fact, he didn't even lay hands on me. It was a Sunday night, and it went on and on, and God was giving him word knowledge and things like that. And so after it got about 9, 9.30, he said, if you haven't been prayed for, put your hand on wherever it hurts. And he prayed the prayer of faith. And you know what? After that, it just started getting better and better and better. I took the back brace off, threw it away, bought another Jeep. And all I can say is, thank God, it doesn't hurt anymore. It feels good to feel good. But there's so many things, and, and in the natural, that was impossible. Degenerative disc disease does not get better on its own. There's no healing for it. Once it's done, it's done. But it's, but it's the law. It's a natural law. I carry something with me whenever we go out of town. What do you think that is? It looks like a watch, doesn't it? But it isn't. It's a compass. And I carry that whenever we go out of town. So if we ever get lost... I can always tell which direction I'm going. It's always true. It never changes. And I learned when, uh, when I was learning how to fly that it always points north, but it's to magnetic north because magnetic north is just about two degrees off from true north, so you just have to add or subtract depending where you're at to do, uh, be heading in true north. Now... You're probably wondering, what's this junk up here? I heard this message back when I was 28 years old and living in Lima. And I was listening to WTGN radio. I was sitting in my office at night. And the window I had in my office was just a square, one-foot square window. And when I was sitting at my desk at night, I could look out and see the flames from the Lima refinery. And I remember I was sitting there because I remember where I was when I heard this message. And the man who, that uh, was giving that message, he said, this is how you can know when you're, you are in the center of God's will. Now, wouldn't you want to know that? To know you are in the very center of God's will. Well, he said that back during the Second World War, he was on a Navy supply ship. Whoops. <clears throat> he was on... <laughs> Navy supply ship. Take heed lest you fall. He was on a Navy supply ship and they were in the Pacific and they were bringing supplies into this small naval base on one of the Pacific Islands. And there's over, I know over a thousand of them there, but they were operating at night in blackout conditions because of the Japanese and German submarines. So as they come up to this island in the dark and they start circling the island. Now, the man that gave the story, he was up in the wheelhouse beside the pilot. And as they're going parallel to the shore, he knows the pilot told him that there was one very narrow channel that the Navy had dynamited out because otherwise it's just coral reef all the way around. He said, so all at once, at one particular time, he turned the wheel and they were heading directly into the island. And he said... How do you know that this is the channel? It's 
It's dark out. It's pitch black. And of course, that was long before GPS. And he said, because at the very end of the channel, where the center of the channel was, this narrow channel, he said, there's three lights like this, only probably on a longer board. And he said, and I keep the ship so I can only see one light. Then I know I'm in the center of the channel. If I start to get out of the center of the channel, I'll start to see two or three lights and I need to get back over. You know, because otherwise you'd hit the coral reef and sink the ship. And this man that was talking about that said, that's how it is to know you're in the very center of God's will. Three things have to line up perfectly. And he said, and the first one, the first one's the word of God. God will never call you to do, never call you to do something that's contrary to his word. But to know that, you've got to read it. I don't know how many Christians are just ignorant of God's word. They just go by their feelings. Whatever God, you think God's called you to do, it'll never be contrary to his word. The second one is discernment. Did you ever have a time when it looks right, feels right, but something's wrong? There is something wrong here. I've had people that way too. They just are ringing the wrong bells. You don't know why. But something about them, it just isn't right. And the other one is outward circumstances. Whatever God called you to do, he'll make a way. I remember back when I was on the radio that uh, somebody invited me to go to the uh, religious broadcasters convention in Chicago. I said, I'd like to go, but I don't have the money. I said, if God makes a way, I get the money, I'll go. If God's called you to do something, he'll make a way. I remember one time we were in this little church and this woman got up and she wanted to sing a song and she said, pray for me, I can't sing. We prayed, she still couldn't sing. I mean, well, Clint Eastwood said, a man's got to know his limitations. You got to know what, what God's called you to do and what he hasn't. The outward circumstances have got to line up. And I saw that happen in uh, my life back in uh, 2001. We, were, we had usually gone in September. This is September. We usually went to St. Augustine in September. That was our favorite, still, still is our favorite place. But I said, you know, we always go to St. Augustine. Let's, let's go to the East Coast. Let's drive the East Coast. Drive in, you know, whatever the, the road is along there. The, we'll go through Maine and, and Massachusetts and places like that. Let's go. Nita said, yeah, I like that. And I said, but first, I want to go to Times Square Church in New York. And we can take a couple days and visit New York City. This is September. We were making our plan. We made our plans to go in September of 01. And so the pastor called me then, and he said he's going to be, he was going to be in Russia, and he asked me to have the message on 9-12-01. And so we canceled our plans for New York City. And I remember standing in my kitchen, looking at the message, thinking about the message that God had given me for the next night, and I said, God, I need something different. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. But 
But you know what? That day on 9-11, when I went to work, and I was, I was in my car. I was going out to the farm. We had somebody painting out there, and I heard the first airplane hit the Twin Towers. And I thought, that is weird. It's perfectly clear skies. How could you miss it? And then right before I got to the farm, I heard that the second one hit. And I, I, just, I was just trembling. I went up to the, the painter that was painting the barn out there. And I said, we're at war. And how the Lord knew what was going to happen and gave me the very message that I needed to preach, that only believe, over there on 91201. And Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And we just need to be in the middle of what his steps are for us. Not ahead and not behind. So we, we changed our reservations. And uh, I said, well, with all the turmoil that was going on, I said, let's go to St. Augustine. It's just a quiet town, not a lot of tourists. We like to walk the beach and drive the Jeep on the beach. And so we made our plans for October to go to St. Augustine. We were going to leave on Friday, had everything taken care of, had my work caught up with, and, and uh, had the motel there on the beach. And then I woke up on Wednesday, two days before we were going to leave, and I said, I'm getting bad vibes, like we used to talk about back in the 60s. They said, I'm just, something is wrong, and I don't know what it is. Do you ever feel like that? And so I went to work, and I said, I'm canceling the reservations. I'll be here. I'll be here on Friday. And I went down to my mom and dad's house, and that's where they're still living on Linden Avenue. And I said, uh, I told them I was going to cancel. And dad said, that's good, because on Friday... He said, I've got a tree trimmer coming, and I want you to meet with him. So I said, okay. So I went down there early, and my mother and dad were sitting there eating breakfast, and my mother said, John, she said, this is the first time that's ever happened. She said, but I, I'm having trouble catching my breath. And so I went out and met with the tree trimmer, and I came back in, and I said, we are taking you. I said, pack your bags. We're take, I'm taking you to Lutheran Hospital now, because she'd gone there before, and they had a complete record of of her illnesses and all that. And so I got Nita with mom and dad. We took my mother to Lutheran Hospital and they ran her through a battery of tests and they said she was low on blood. She didn't have enough blood. And they said if she'd have gone the weekend, she'd have died. Wow. I knew right then. I knew right then. Why I was getting a bad feeling. Why God was saying no. I mean, no other reason. There was... There was no reason, you know, the plans are made, good weather, all that. So we then changed our plans, canceled the motel at St. Augustine Beach, and made it for November. And so we got down there at the old Holiday Inn on St. Augustine Beach. Finally, November, we pulled in there, and all these big dumpsters were all the way around the hotel. And I talked to the maintenance man, and you go inside, and all the drywall from four feet high down, all the doors were gone, all the carpet, all the furniture, it's all out in the dumpster. And I said, what happened here? And he said, back in October, the weekend we were going to be there, 
Tropical Storm Gabrielle came through. He said it was much worse than they were expecting. He said we had three feet of water. He said people were trying to leave during the night and they'd pull into the carport in front. And of course, it's got the automatic doors. And they would open up and they said a wave would go in and hit the desk, the service desk there. That's how deep it was. I don't think our Mustang would have liked three feet of water. Isn't that amazing? How God knows that months ahead of time what's going to happen in your life and he makes a way. So I'm going to talk to you about Super 8 Faith. In March of 2012, I got a call at night, about 11 o'clock at night. It was my daughter-in-law down in Florida. And they were having trouble. And they had two kids. And they said, we really need you down here to help us. And so I said, well, I said, I've got some things I've got to get done tomorrow. But I said, as soon as I get on the road, we'll head down there. So we had my dad's old Cadillac, and we loaded it up. We didn't know if we were going to be down there a week, a month. We didn't know what, how they, would need, they needed us to, to take the boys to school and pick them up. And, and so we loaded up the old Cadillac, 16 years old now, and uh, getting hard to find parts. But anyways, it was still in good shape then. Loaded it all the way up. Had the trunk full, packed full. So we head for Florida. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and... Whenever we go through Cincinnati and, and across the bridge, Brent Spence Bridge, I always call a, I, or turn on WLW ahead of time to see if there's a backup there. If there's a backup, then we take the East Bypass around. So when I called up, we weren't yet to the rest area down there by Middletown, and they said that I-75, the southbound lane, just past Jellico, Tennessee, Tennessee, and it's right on the border between Kentucky and Tennessee, had fallen off the mountain. And so they said they were diverting everybody on old Highway 25, little two-lane highway. And I said, well, we're gonna, we can't go that way. So we called up, and we got to the rest area. We called up and canceled our reservations for Knoxville and took 71 over to, I don't know, 69, 65 that goes through Louisville and, and Nashville. And Nita said, because I canceled a reservation, she said, shouldn't we get more reservations? And I said, no, there's lots of motels. We don't need to get reservations. So after we finished eating dinner, it was dark out, got back on the road. So I gave Nita the, the AAA guide. And I said, well, get us a, get us a motel. This, this is probably like 9 o'clock at night. And we started stopping at all the exits. Everybody was full. I mean, they were full. When it got to be 2.30 in the morning, they quit answering the phone. So about 2.30 in the morning, we pull into this little backwater town, about 20 miles from Chattanooga. I try Hampton, full. Try Holiday, full. Try Marriott, full. So we pulled in the last one in town. It was a Super 8. And I said, well, here's our choice. We prayed and asked God to give us a room. It's either this or we sleep in the car or, or keep on going. So I went into the Super 8, never been in one before. And we got the last no smoking room on the second floor, carried our stuff up there. Now it's going on 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, looked in there and the furniture was rough. It'd been around for a long time. Put the bed in the bed that was clean, the towels were clean, 
So we got to bed. We thanked God for giving us a motel room at the Super 8. And the next morning, we got up and got on the road. Nita said, you know something? For the previous year, she had to wear a foot brace on her foot. It would hurt so bad when she tried to sleep. She had to wear the foot brace, and she said, you know what? It was so late, and I was so tired that I didn't bother to put the foot brace on. She said, it doesn't hurt anymore. She got a miracle in a Super 8 motel. And it wasn't where we wanted. I wanted to stay at the Hampton, the Holiday, the Marriott. But it's where God needed for us to be. And sometimes things happen in your life. And it may not be what you want, but it's what you need. And it's, it's where God can move in your life. I look back at my life. And I can think back in 19, May of 1974, I was divorced at the same time my uncle, who was managing the apartments in Lima, ended up in Memorial Hospital. He was 39. And I went to see him. He was in a coma, cirrhosis of the liver, bleeding ulcers. They had tubes going and his nose down, pumping the blood out of his stomach as he was bleeding. And they were trying to put it back in both arms. So overnight, I ended up the manager. I remember two weeks before that, I was sitting at my desk, and I said, in Salina, I said, God, I'm so bored with this job. Two weeks later, I was not bored. I was managing this apartment on South Sugar Street, Catalpa, Holmes, and the place was out of control. I had no idea what I was doing. But God gave me favor. There's a Christian lady there that was divorced, and... Uh, she was, I hired her to be my assistant, and, and uh, it was a blessing. It was the last place I wanted to be. So that was in May of 74. March of 75 was when I was robbed. And you've heard that story before, how I was sitting in the kitchen of the manager's apartment. And uh, it, it was a three-bedroom apartment, nice, good size, with a big bathroom and a living room and kitchen and an opening into the office I'm sitting there at the kitchen table doing some work and I hear the office door open and I walk in there and two guys walk in the door with pantyhose over their heads you know this is not going to be good they closed the door the one pulled out a sawed-off shotgun under his raincoat they took the money took me in the bathroom got me on my knees tied my hands behind my back, shoved this shotgun up against my head, and I said, open the gates, Lord, here I come. You know, the thing is, I couldn't believe this is happening. You think you're going to live a long time, and here you are at 28, and somebody's about to blow your head off. Well, so the next thing happened, he pulled the hammer back to fire. I heard it click, and the second after it clicked, the office door opened, and hinges squeaked, and the lady walked in and said, anybody there? They unclicked the hammer and the shotgun and walked out. And I thought later how my life was done to one second. You know what I did? I said, I am done. I happened to have, my car was in the shop, so I had my dad's Winnebago out there. I took all my stuff, filled it full in that Winnebago, and I said, I am never, look, never, ever going to sleep in this apartment again. No way, Jose. You couldn't pay me enough money. So that was March. 
Two months later, my life was about to change. My ex-wife took me to court for increased child support. And so I remember the day we went to court. We went to a common pleas court, the big, big uh, room there is in uh, Salina. And her attorney was there with her. My attorney's with me. The judge is sitting up there, big courtroom. And, and my attorney showed me the chart. He said, here's your tax return. Here's how much you'll have to pay. Here's how much the chart says. Here much he says. And I looked, I said, well, it's only like 10%. I said, I can live with that. So he went in there because the judge went to the two attorneys. They went in his chambers and he came back out. And my attorney was just shaking his head. He couldn't believe it. He said, you won't believe what happened. He said, here's what the judge said you're going to pay. I said, why? And, and he said, that's exactly what I asked him. He said, judge, here's the chart. Here's his tax return. He said the judge shoved the tax return over to the side. And he said, listen, I don't care what that says. We're talking about Paul Kessler's son. He'll pay what I say he'll pay. See, my dad was the hometown boy. He started working at nine years old. Nine years old, he would get up before the sun came up. Nine years old, and he'd go down to the train station. It was either 10 blocks by the street, or if you walked the tracks, it was only five. And he'd get on the train and sell the morning edition of the Dayton Daily News. After school, he'd run down there, get on the trains, and sell the evening edition of the Dayton Daily News. On the weekend, he worked at a dance hall. His, his dad was the bouncer. His mother sold the tickets. It was like 25 cents to get in. But if you wanted to dance, you had to get a ticket. It was like 10 cents a dance per person. So my dad took tickets and and uh, and it just he he had always worked. When he was 12, he drove a grocery store truck, Model T Ford. 12, a grocery store truck delivering groceries. When he was 13, he worked at Salina Steam Laundry. At 15, he started working with the carpenters and plumbers and electricians and things like that. And when he was 16, he used to go down and meet the mail train, 4 a.m. And then he'd deliver mail during the summer at 16. Well, it was a lot different then, wasn't it? <laughs> Imagine kids doing that today. But so anyways, because my dad was successful and he was a hometown boy, if he'd have been from Dayton, you know, it'd have been different. But they were just jealous of him. And so he was making me pay for that. So you know where I ended up? Back at 1223 South Sugar Street, Lima, Ohio, 45804. The last place in the world that I wanted to be. But you know what? It's where God wanted me to be. Where I, and, and where I needed to be. And I showed the, I should have had him try to blow this up, but I showed the pastor picture myself in December of 1975. I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting on the, uh, no, you can't see it that far. But I'm sitting on the hood of the 69 Dodge station wagon. And after I, after I moved back in there, God spoke to me. And he said, John, I was praying about it. I was, it, just, it really burdened me because the kids there weren't going to Sunday, church or Sunday school. You know, little kids on up. And, and it burned me, burdened me. And God said, why don't you do something about it? I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, why don't you take them? Well, all I had 
It was the Firebird. You can't haul many in the Firebird. So uh, I went to Wapak, and I talked to Bob Brandt, the Dodge dealer, and I bought this used 1969 Dodge nine-passenger wagon, and we just packed it out. Took kids to church and Sunday school because I was obedient. You see, that isn't where I wanted to be. It's the last place on earth I wanted to be, but it's where God wanted me to be and needed for me to be. And it was going to change my life. With that Dodge station wagon, it had this strange thing about it. It had an AM radio, no FM then, and you couldn't change the stations. The only station was WJYM Bowling Green, Jimmy Swaggart station. And I used to listen to Shambach every day, 11 o'clock. Wow, he'd build your faith up. Yeah, I mean, you just, I, I'd made sure I'd, I took my lunch so I could eat there, eat in my car and listen to Brother Shambach. You know what he always said at the end? Remember what he said? He said, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. <laughs> yeah. And then because of that, God spoke to me and said, John, you need to buy time on that station too. And so I went to, talk, went to uh, Bowling Green, talked to them, and I signed up to have 10 minutes before Brother Shambach. I was on from from uh, 10.50 to 11 a.m. And I went out and got the recording equipment and uh, used to do that program. I had to start with when I was still living in Lima, I had all my equipment in a closet. And so I'd have to get it out and set it all up and I made myself a little pulpit so I could preach. And it was on reel to reel then. And after I was on, I moved back to Slinar after I was on five and a half years. Now the I remember the, the bill, the monthly bill for a little 10-minute program was $660 a month. Now, with my child support, there's no way I could pay it. I had to rely on the listeners. And the last thing I said I was not going to do, I said, I'm not going to get on this radio and beg for money. Whenever the money quits coming in, I'm done. You know, I had, I'd hear people do, oh, please send me some money. I'm going to have to go off. I thought, oh, that's pathetic. I'd rather, I'd like to send some money to make him take him off. So, you know, I had to rely on the listeners to support me, but I never asked for money. So after five and a half years, all at once, no money. Not even a dollar came in. You know, so what do you do? Pray fast, beg, plead, put on sackcloth and ashes, burn incense, pray the rosary, anything that works, you know, try it all. No money came in, not even a dollar. So I gave him my resignation. I had to borrow the money to pay for the last month. So I went off. And I was off for two weeks. All at once there was a knock on my door. You know who was there? Peter and Phyllis Dosey. Never heard of him, never seen him. Yeah. And he said, I heard you had some radio equipment to sell. I said, yeah, come in. And I showed him, by then I had a studio set up. He said, what do you want for that? I said, since, uh, you know, God's called you to go on the radio, I said, uh, 100 bucks for the whole thing. I had that in just a microphone. He said, that's a great deal, but I don't have $100. This is a true story. And so I said, go to the living room, let me pray. And I thought, well, you know, it's not really mine anymore anyways. I've already dedicated the Lord, but I'd like to have a token. So I went back in, and I said, I'll make you a better deal. I'll sell it to you for $1. He said, it's even better, but I don't have a dollar. <laughs> that excited me. Somebody with faith. No money in his pocket, not even a dollar. And it all started by that 
by me being obedient and buying a Dodge station wagon like 10 years before that. Well, then I had, uh, I was living on the farm and I had a man working for me during this summer, a young man, about 20 years old. And he told me that that fall he wanted to go to Baptist Bible College. He felt called of God to pastor churches. His name was George Mays. And so when time, it came time, the end of the summer came and he was getting ready to go. He had an old Buick and the engine blew up on it. So I said, George, you just take that old station wagon. You go to Kentucky. You go to Bible college. And you know what? Years later, he called me up and he said, John, I've got a piano player here, my piano player. I want you to meet her. And uh, she's got two kids. And she didn't know how to play the piano before that. But because there was such a need in churches for piano players, she took lessons so she could play. And you know who it was? It was Nita. Yeah, I met her. We dated for a year and got married. And we've been married for 35 years. And it all started by being obedient with one thing 10 years before that. And I knew this was going to be short. It would have been a lot shorter. I thought I left my notes at home. <laughs> I thought, God, that is really funny. Sometimes he, he just amazes me. I remember I wanted a backslide. I still got time. I get five more minutes. One more story. I, I became weary and well doing one time. This is before I met Nina. And I said, I'm done. I got tired of the fight. It seems like I was, the more I fought, the, the worse it got. And I finally said, I'm done. I'm going to quit. And so I went in the closet and grabbed, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment, went in and grabbed a, a, a shirt out of the closet. It didn't matter what it was. Just put it on. Went out, pulled up at the grocery store. I was going to go in and buy a big bottle of wine, sit along the lake, and just get good and drunk. Great. But I wanted to put my dark glasses on because I didn't want somebody else to recognize me. I wasn't trying to be a hypocrite. I thought, it might be working for them, but it's not working for me. My life is just falling apart. And so I went to put the dark glasses on to go into the grocery store. I looked down, and I'm wearing this one shirt. One shirt out of, went back and counted, I had 65 shirts. And this is the only one in big letters. It said, expect a miracle. That amazing, I, I said, God, you are so funny. You got such a sense of humor. When all hope is gone, boo-hoo, I'm going to give up. I'm wearing a shirt that says, expect a miracle. I said, you can't walk in and buy a bottle of wine when you're wearing a shirt like this. So I said, God, I don't care how bad it gets. From now on, I said, I'm going to walk with you, and I know you'll walk with me. And God is such an awesome God. I told you everything but the Super 8, didn't I? Super 8 story. That's the best part. This is the, the dessert. Back in March 22. Oh, I didn't tell you the rest of that story. Nita got her healing. The next day she realized she got her healing. But then we got on the road and we were down near uh, Gainesville, Florida. And I-75 is three lanes. 
And up at the head, of, we were behind this big line of cars, both lanes. The head of the line was probably three Buicks. I think the Buick LeSabres came from the factory with the governor. They couldn't go any faster than five miles an hour below the speed limit. And they wouldn't let anybody around. They, they're taking up all three lanes. So we're back there praying, thinking wonderful thoughts about these people. Actually, I was thinking, I wish that I had a, I had a, well, those M79 rocket launchers. I could get behind them. You know, just I'm envisioning this. I'm just imagining this. I could get behind them. We could roll the sun back, roof back. Anita could get up there and dispatch those people to their reward. <laughs> but I was thinking that. And uh, so all at once, the right lane opens up. So the people in the right lane, some of them, the Buick the people in the right lane moved over. So before they could, anybody could get in front of us again, I was driving that big old Cadillac with a North Star engine, and I mashed it to the floor. And it took off, came to life, and uh, I just held it to the floor. And I'm coming up to the front car, and just as I get to the front car, that front car jerks over in front of us. I'm doing like 95 and they're doing 60. There was no way I could stop. So I just swerved off the road. Now we're heading for the trees at 95 miles an hour. And then I swerved it back and we went back this way and we swerved this way and we were just all over the road. I thought it was going to turn sideways and roll. But that's the scaredest I've ever been. Finally got under control. And whenever we are about to have a big wreck, Nita always screams. She always does that. It's just annoying when you're about to crash. <laughs> but she was too scared to even, to even scream. But uh, thank God. That's the scariest I've been. Scariest I've been in many years. That's my story. If you have any needs tonight, be glad as we close out. You come up, we'll be glad to. I think I'm the only one on the older team that's left up here. Anyways, be glad to pray for you. Oh, there's Gerald. She's a, he's over there. Yeah. But uh, I hope you remember that story about the three lights. That you can know for sure when you're in the middle of God's will. Then you need to be there, too. Okay. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity I had to share your word. And I, and I pray, Lord, that it shall not return void, but accomplish that which you desire, as we give you the glory and honor and praise. In the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for it. Amen.